Hi, my name is Cesar Cavazos and welcome to Friction Log. I am joined by my co-host Rick Blaylock and we are here to bring you the best insights of UX, developer experience and how we experiment with the extraction of joy, struggles and other emotions when using technologies. Let's get started. Hello, hello and welcome to another episode of Friction Log. Today we have a new tool, uh, something that I don't think we have mentioned in previous episodes. I welcome my co-host, Rick Blaylock. Rick, how are you? Good, good. Doing well. Very well. Yeah, I guess it's just back to you and me. We don't have a guest today, so you will have to do the talk. Oh, man. So boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm entering a month and a half now i think it's like a month and a half experiment using light mode light theme for vs code it's been pretty interesting everybody's as soon as i did it i put it on twitter it was like oh my eyes it's terrible oh turn it back to dark theme ah what ah, what you're crazy but i gotta say when i switched over to try it out and a month and a half into it, my eye strain during the day and headaches have been almost non-existent. Huh. I, maybe, maybe it's something else. I don't know. I, you know, it's it's just not exactly a scientific experiment, but I gotta say, like every day, I by two or three o'clock, I had eye strain and headaches, and I have not had that problem since I switched to it. Okay, I have questions. I'm going to derail our friction lock for a few minutes and ask you a few <laughs> questions about that. <laughs> Why did you start doing that? Okay, so if I'm honest, part of it is, you know how we're developers and developers get bored with things and they like to change things up just because we're get, we get bored. I call it the tyranny of novelty. So part of it was like, eh, I need to change something up. Let me change the theme of my code editor. So that was part of it. But the other part of it legit was, I was noticing when I, I was spending extended hours on v VS Code coding during the day in dark mode, that transitioning and looking at other things was bothering my eyes. And so I, I was a little suspicious of it. Yeah, I, I did the anecdotal like Google around. And of course, you can find opinion for everything. But I was like, oh, let me try it and see if it does make a difference. Do you still use your your glasses like the Gunnar with the jello overcoating or or something yeah, like that for I, the blue? I have. I you know, maybe this is part of uh, the test being bad, but I still had problems with eye strain with them and headaches. And honestly, about a year ago, I, man, maybe like six months ago, I stopped using them because I thought, oh, this thing's, maybe this is what's causing me headaches or whatever, but it didn't go away. So it probably wasn't the gunners. Huh. Okay. I can tell you, I use, and probably I mentioned this on Twitter when you were posting it, BS code in dark mode, always. I do have my, I guess, dark light theme of macOS to switch automatically, and mm -hmm. I like it. But VS Code is always on dark mode. And at work, I, I disabled the automatic syncing of settings between my work computer and my personal computer. Yeah, and okay. my personal one has the dark theme, where the work one has a 
dark blue theme. One of the default ones I, I didn't, uh, I don't think I need anything extra than that. And that's where I either work on um, JavaScript, TypeScript, readme files, uh, markdown, <laughs> right. things like that, right? right? Uh, where in Xcode for Swift mm -hmm. or iOS in general, I always have the light team. And to me, it's kind of like a mental switch of what I'm writing versus what the background is, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I try to use Xcode with dark theme and or turn the, the background dark. And I started to make a lot of typos thinking that it was JavaScript. So I, that, that is my, <laughs> my routine. It's funny. <laughs> Brain I, hack. Yes, I, I don't get to any headaches or, or things like that, but also I, I'm not doing like eight hours of coding straight, right? I, I have meetings and stuff like that. So definitely probably not as busy as you are coding, but it's interesting. So do you switch to dark theme at night, I guess, just for your eyes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, everything's dark theme right now because yep, it's 1141 my time. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. So yeah, it's all dark mode now, which I don't really have a problem with it. Like last night, I was up pretty late coding and it doesn't really bother me when it's at night. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I will say, so where my desk is at next to it, not in, fr not in front of it. So I'm not staring at a window, but off to my left, there's a window it kind of left and behind me. Mm -hmm. And when I have dark mode on during the day, there is a glare even though my monitor is a matte finished monitor, you know, so there's not like the, the, the glossy glare, there is still a glare from the blinds and the sun and all that kind of stuff. If it's in dark mode, but when it's in light mode, I don't see that glare as, as much, or if maybe even at all, that's something else. A little that data is, point there. That is interesting. We probably both need some, the Apple pro XDR monitor. <laughs> nano texture thing because i also have a window on my side and and with the spring and summer coming over the sun changes just enough to reach my monitor in an annoying way at like 2 3 p.m mm. where winter yep. is usually it's all clear so i gotta i gotta close the window or or pull down the the curtain i guess okay <laughs> that's a good excuse to get a xdr though oh yes. although when I get one, maybe I'll use ex excuse. I'll be, tell my wife, like, look, Crystal, I need to get these headaches out of here. I got to get rid of these headaches. So I really need that $1,000 stand for the monitor. It'll really get rid of them, I promise. Yeah. just I'm sure a, that'll go over well. A block of metal is going to fix it. Uh, I cannot make that argument right now with my wife. My argument right now is like, I don't know what's happening, but every time I read an article about M1 Max, my personal Mac gets is lower and I think I need a new one. And then <laughs> I can tell you it's not going well, but eventually I'll find enough reasons to buy it. Uh, I'll probably wait for, for new models to come in. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Light theme versus dark theme. Uh, I, I never, like, I know everybody has preferences for terminal windows. Like, I know people that just like it to be white background, dark letters. And I know a lot of people that like the, the light blue with white. I, I am a black background and light, like a little, I guess, light gray letters. But it, mm -hmm. it is a whole thing, as you said. You can find 
articles that explain the benefits of each setting in a way that you are like, oh, I want to try it. And to be honest, I, I think if the options exist is because we're all different and because we might be able to hack our way into the most productive setting. That's that's mm -hmm. how I will take it. And I'm glad that you're not having as much headaches as you were. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's been kind of nice, actually. Cool, cool. Okay, moving on after I derailed this conversation for farther than, than probably we both thought, but it's your fault because you talk about the themes. Let's talk about our friction log. We have a new tool, which I will need your help to explain at least how you understand it. We're going to put the link in the show notes, but I, I want you to explain it to me. Like, what is it about? I know the name is Rockset and mm -hmm. you can find it at rockset.com. How do you explain what it is? What is the value proposition? Why you even attempt to try it out and do a friction lock about it? Yeah. So this is a brand new thing for me. I started playing with it end of last week, I guess. So I'm a few days in. I heard about it, I think, on Software Engineering Daily's podcast, I think, but I could be wrong. Honestly, I can't remember where I heard about it. But what it is, Rockset is real-time. Well, it's not just real-time. That's probably my marketing word. It's a, it's indexing database that's like super optimized for micro, like millisecond latency search and aggregations and joins and and stuff like that. So it sits on top of or in front of like, for example, Mongo or Kafka or a storage thing like S3. And you can query it like SQL, any of that data or all that data, join it together. You can query it like SQL, but it's super fast. They, the way they do the indexes and what reverse indexing and all that stuff, they do it in a way where it's just kind of like you just write the SQL. You don't have to worry about what to index and how to index it and all that kind of stuff. They try to take care of that for you as much as possible. And you just write your queries and get data back really fast. Okay. 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 I get it. So basically all these things that we were talking about in our previous episodes, things like Mongo, it's very cool to have no SQL databases around where you don't, you are not tied to a schema, but mm -hmm. you, you, as you scale, you get some sort of performance degradation. And what um, Rockset is trying to do is try to, whenever you start pulling all that data in, try to give you a fast way or an indexed database that you can query it and you can get all the data that you need. Okay. Uh, did I yep. get right? Yep. Okay. Yep, exactly. And, and for my specific use case, so for fish rules, we have analytic data, usage data, and some things like that, that we, we send to Google analytics. And then invariably that goes also to BigQuery because you can export to BigQuery. So, I think on, on batch, it'll, you know, BigQuery will get updated with that data too. But also, we stuff it into Mongo. Honestly, I, I can't give you a good reason why I put it into Mongo other than I just was using Mongo Atlas for other things. And I'm like, oh, let me just stuff it in this collection too. <laughs> Honestly, it's not a huge strategic technical reason. So when it came to 
the Fisheries use cases were I now I need to build these kind of analytic dashboards, these uses dashboards for us, but also for customers, our government customers and NGOs and stuff. I needed a way to pull it out. Well, I can go the BigQuery route, but if I go the BigQuery route, you know, there's there's data infrastructure and, and things that I have to think about that I have to maintain, that I have to build, that I have to worry about the, the pipeline of that data, running batch jobs and stuff. So, I mean, now I, I'm sure there's some data engineer out there going, oh, Rick, it's so easy. You don't actually have to do anything. You just click this button in Google Cloud or do this or do that. But, I, you know, I'm not an expert data engineer by any means. So, you know, keep that in mind. But what Rockset does, Rockset sits in front of it. Literally, I just point to my my Mongo collection and it ingests all the data and I can query it and in like milliseconds get back anything I want. So I can query across millions of records and say, Hey, for South Atlantic, you know, maybe it's like the keys or, or just three miles outside of Southeast Florida. I want to see all the regulation views for a greater amberjack or, or for flounder in North Carolina or something like that. And we have, you know, tens of millions of regulation views for those species. So this thing just comes back like super fast with all that information, which is awesome. And I don't have to do anything other than point it to Mongo and then write the SQL queries. <laughs> and I think they're solving a need based on what you're saying, right? Typically, you will have your analytics or you will have some sort of logs, either usage or visits or interactions, things like that for you uh, from your users. And at some point, you want to query, you want to understand your product. And once you realize that everything is baked into uh, Google Analytics, or you have been putting it through some sort of log aggregator, you, you might be able to build some sort of Grafana dashboards and, and mm -hmm. try to do something visually. But it's, it's always outside of, it wouldn't make sense for you to build your own uh, portal or your own dashboards uh, like, you were, like you are doing, right? You, you got to tell that person. And I know Fish Rules, it, it's a small, you, you see those queries and you have just a few people looking at it. But as you scale, you want to have your own dashboards. And having to teach people Grafana and and go to this other tool to see this visualization. Oh, no, you broke it. No, you do this. And it, it feels like putting data into this data sets is easy. Um, yeah. But pulling it out and getting value out of it is always a big investment. Uh, and it takes time. And probably, as you said, there are people that are specialized in this and, and that those people are not you or me. But for us, it's always one thing like, oh, yeah, let's add analytics to this site. And then when <laughs> like six months later, it's like, what am I going to do with this analytics? Like, how do I query it? How do you pull it down? And what am I going to build and what kind of dashboards I want? And I got to say, I like the fact that this will probably come up in your in your frictions or delights, but I like the fact that it is SQL, that they're not trying to reinvent something that already exists. Like, how do we query yeah. data? there is something and pretty much any software developer will have basic knowledge of SQL, which is more than enough for what, what your persona is. So, okay, you explain what it is. You have a use case building your own dashboards and trying to understand what, what's happening across different axes, like your regulations or your regions, as well as, mm -hmm. I guess, species of uh, fish. Is that right? 
Yep. Uh-huh. Ad okay. information. We have ads, so I need to look at ad impressions and clicks, fish logs. Yeah, a bunch of stuff like that. Okay. I think that also explains your persona. So I'm not going to ask, like, who's your persona like we do on every episode. Everybody <laughs> should know you. And if not, they can go through a batch of episodes and, and figure out, like, who you are and what you do. Right. They can definitely check uh, fishrulesapp.com, I guess, to see what, what this is about. Okay. All right. Let's get into our three blocks of frictions or logs. We have the lights, frictions, and blockers, and we always start with the good ones. So the lights, what do you like about that? And I know your experience is one week, so this might be even interesting interesting for the people at Rockset if they happen to, to listen to these episodes. What do you like about it? Right. Yeah, so the first thing that comes to mind is I liked how I was able to dive into it and just try to use it without having a deep understanding of it. Most of these data products, and again, I am not a seasoned data engineer. I, I, I've messed with data. I worked at a solution AI company for a while, and we did a bunch of data. Past startup I was at with Pinpoint, lots of data. And I, you know, I was, I was involved in that stuff, but I didn't do that stuff day in, day out. I don't dream about doing data engineering tasks. You know? And a lot of these products, you, you just need like deep understanding of how it all works so that you know how to do the indexes right and that the little gotchas because of how it writes to the disk and how it pulls it and how it works with memory and all the stuff that you have to usually think about with these products. You don't really need to do that with Rockset. I, I literally just pointed it to the collection and I could write SQL and get it and it was quick. And when it wasn't quick, it would tell me, hey, it looks like this is taking a while. Here's some tips. And it would show you, hey, add this to your query or reference this, or maybe you should change your query to this. It was kind of cool how it did it. So that was a huge delight was just that onboarding and learning how to use it without having to be a domain expert at Rockset. Okay. Let me dig in into that. So when when the tool, when Rockset is suggesting like maybe you want to add this or that to your query, does it also suggest any sort of index or anything in your database, your data source, or just like, hey, you know, you can use this and that might be something specific to them that will speed up your query? No, they didn't say anything about like building your own indexes and stuff like that. I mean, maybe there's something there. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was kind of just like bing, bang, boom, go. And we were, you know, it was ingesting data. And then once there was enough data, I could start querying it. It's pretty cool. Okay. Okay. All right. So that is the the starting to use the tool and then mm-hmm. setting up. I guess they're called some sort of like connectors or sources yep. for your Mongo. Okay. Yep. Um, yep. So that that first time experience with that was was a definitely a delight. Uh, I was very impressed with it. Glad to hear. Okay. Anything else? How about integrating with your with your application? Like, do they have any libraries? Things that you really like about about that? Yeah, it's it was really easy. I mean, I was able to do integration in you know less than a day, really. Once I figured out how the queries work and stuff in Rockset, which is mostly just SQL, they, they have this Node library that I use, but you you could use the REST API too. It's about the same, really. And yeah, I just dropped it in, and literally, <laughs> the payload is a SQL query that you're hitting. 
So I would, in their console, I would play around with some queries. And once I'd see the results I wanted and kind of how I wanted it to behave, I would just take it, parameterize it in Node, and then pass it as the body of, of a request. And it would go make the request and return the, the data that I wanted. Okay, sidetrack there. Because I'm, I'm liking this because I particularly, usually when we talk about these tools, both of us have some sort of experience, but I haven't used Roxit. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of like discovering as probably our listeners would be. So you say that you send your query. I like the fact that it is SQL queries, right? And you said you send yeah. that query through a REST API or a REST endpoint. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder why, or if it's a valid use case to have a GraphQL query, but I guess it doesn't because it's flexible against your data sources. I don't know. That would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it seems like that's a mismatch because the whole thing is centered around MySQL or SQL querying, and you know, you you can pull in Mongo and Kafka and S3 and whatever. You ingest this data, and then you just write SQL to join the stuff together. You know, so it, it kind of seems like that's their lingua franca. And if you were to do GraphQL as the REST endpoint or as the endpoint that you query, I, I don't know what the benefit of that would be. Because like right now you just hit the endpoint and you pass it SQL as well. So it's kind of the universal way to talk to Rockset. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, and then they wouldn't know, they would, they would have to somehow map your sources into a GraphQL schema that then right. you can query it. Yeah. Uh, and and you mentioned Kafka, so I assuming that they have, and I think I saw it on the website, some real time happening. So, right. I I in and all those schemas can be changing or adding new fields. And when do you re rebuild your GraphQL schema? That that seems complicated. Okay, yeah, SQL right. makes sense. Uh, I like it. I I, I think it's uh, a lot of developers are used to GraphQL but mm -hmm. more are to SQL queries, even if they don't like it. So I like it. Okay. All right. Any other delights that you, you have experienced so far? So I think just the, what's the word? The rev time or the feedback loop of writing something in their console, which is like this little UI thing in their browser where you can just write a query really quick, hitting run, make sure it works, make sure it looks good, do a spot check. When it looks good, Literally just copying that query, jumping over to Node, drop it in, you know, parameterize it or whatever, and then you're just you're it's there. You have it, it's ready to go, and you get the data. Just that whole feedback loop is really quick, which is awesome because in a lot of data engineering type tools, it is the feedback loop is not quick. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. Okay, what about I have some other notes here based on, on previous friction logs. Have you talked to somebody at the company? Have you uh, experienced anything with the documentation, things like that, that you want to highlight as delights? Yeah. Oh, so as far as documentation goes, it's pretty good. Uh, I, I, I've used it extensively, I think, to find some things and to understand how stuff works. And it's actually pretty good. My maybe my only complaint or friction. I know we're not we haven't dove into frictions yet, but I'm just going to say it. Only friction is on on the querying your data part. 
they, they have it's great. They have a bunch of aggregate functions and string functions and geographic functions and how to use it all, but they don't have a lot of samples. So they'll tell you about it. They'll give you one example or two examples, and then the rest of the page is kind of like, you know, just hey, you can do this. Hey, you can do this. Yeah, you can do this. So. I mean, maybe saying they don't have a lot of samples isn't fair. They have samples, but it, it would be nice if they had more, I guess, or more use case examples, if that makes sense. Yeah, to uh, some sort of inspiration for you to, because you have the data, so some sort of inspiration to exploit your data and kind of like see what kind of value you can get out of it. That would be That would be interesting, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So documentation is great, but that is a small friction. The other thing is I did jump on with a solution architect with them today, and uh, that went really well. He was clearly knowledgeable and knew Rockset, so that's great. Very accommodating on you know different things we can do and how it works, and I can send him over some queries, and he'll help optimize it and show me you know what the best way to do it with rock set is and that kind of stuff. So that, that was good. That was a, uh, it was a good experience. And you're still on a trial, right? So they're just, I, I guess they call it pre-sales on their end, but to you as a developer and um, somebody that, that it is getting value of it real quick, that you appreciate that, that the fact that you can talk to a human, I guess. Right. Yep. Okay. You mentioned a friction. Any other delights before we move on to frictions? Nope. I think that pretty much covers it from how much I've used it thus far. <laughs> okay. We should definitely do a follow-up once once you have settled more. I know yeah, this I is uh, this is fresh. Frictions. Okay. You mentioned the documentation. What else? What Any other thing that made you stop your flow? So let's see. The first friction was when I was starting, I didn't know what to size it with or anything. So I just picked a size. Honestly, I can't remember what size I picked. Oh, I'm sorry. I should probably say what I mean by size. So what you do is when you pick your your collection and you start ingesting, you have to pick a virtual instance, which is a mix of compute and in-memory stuff. And you have to pick your size. So there's small, there's medium, there's large, and which is based on like four vCPUs, 8 vCPUs, 16 vCPUs, 64 gigabytes, 128 gigabyte, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, I wasn't sure what to pick. So I picked one and like my, none of my queries work. Like I, I, I can only query five at a time, which was weird to me. So I had to re-ingest a bunch of data after that happened. So that was, that was annoying. Maybe there's a way for them to to look at the collection and go, Hey, you're going to need this or say, Hey, can you write a sample query or let's write a sample query and see how long, you know, I, I don't know that it'd be, it'd just be nice if they would have prevented me from doing that. Cause I, I did have to wait a while to fix that problem. Okay. So these sizes are like AWS, uh, EC2 instances, right? So you, you pick some sort of memory and CPU, but then you didn't know exactly how to, how to size your data. Mm -hmm. And then you 
ended up redoing some of that work because it was so slow. Okay, I guess, yeah, either proactively say, let's let's type a query together and see how much data you're bringing in and how much we're indexing and here's what we recommend for you. And then the other thing could be that, hey, this query is taking, I don't know, it can be both ways, right? 10 seconds, maybe you want to do something bigger or mm -hmm. it's taking... Uh, 50 milliseconds and they can say something like hey if you want if you don't mind waiting another like 300 milliseconds we get like you can uh, size down and and use this smaller instance and i know that that's that seems counterintuitive to upselling things because definitely the the bigger instance the more money you're gonna end up paying but it right. just brings that loyalty to say, oh, they're looking out for me and I keep doing more and more queries and then they're going to suggest a bigger instance. So that that might be a good suggestion. Okay. Right. Yep. The other friction on startup. So when I first ingested data, it stopped at like 55% ingestion and there was no reason, rhyme or reason for why it stopped. So I ping support and they said, just re-ingest, start a new Reingest, you know, a new collection is what they call it. And I did that and then it worked. So I, I don't know why that happened, but it did stop the first time I tried it. I haven't run into any problems since then, though. <laughs> Have you tried to turn it off and on again? Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, basically. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Okay. That, that seems like uh, some sort of uh, whenever they're starting things up and, and I assume it's a still a small company, so they, they must have some sort of hiccups on that. Okay, what else? So since the, the virtual instance pricing is pretty straightforward, like I'm on a medium and it's a dollar and a half, a dollar and 59 cents uh, per hour. But then at the, at, the, at the other side of it, it's kind of like, I don't know if I need that. It's not really clear how to figure out if I need that. It also says allocated memory is 64. Well, is that is that hard drive space? Is that RAM? Is that, you know, it's just, there's like little tiny things like that where I, I think I know what it means. It's just, I, I think they assume maybe too much on on that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it probably it is RAM, but is it um, dedicated? Is it? Sure. Can you do, I don't know, because I, I guess your queries are going to have peaks, right? You make a query and you're going to have some sort of peaks, but then right. most of the time the CPU and probably the memory is going to be idle, especially if it's just you, fish rules company using it as opposed to all your users that might be fishing 24 hours if they want to, right? But can you turn it off for a few hours or do you don't need it for a few hours and it will automatically suspend and save you, save you some money? How long does it take to bring it back up if that's the case? Like that, the hourly pricing to me personally on, on, on clouds, public clouds like AWS or Azure or even IBM cloud, to me, it just means like, oh, if you decide to create an instance for like eight hours, then you only pay for those eight hours, right? But if you're using a service that you're going to continuously use, then it, it does seem a lot more like reasonable to better use like a daily or monthly rate 
I suppose, especially if it's a dedicated instance. So I right. guess there there is some, how do we call it, probably market fit to try to understand what people are doing and based on that offer, compute on those necessities because mm-hmm. you're going to be paying for for a few hours that you're not even going to be using it, especially if, if the friction lock team is querying it during the day on Eastern time in the US, right? What about when you all go to bed? Like, right. Well, I don't know. That that seems and again it's just a matter of dollars and that can be more or less whatever. But it is you company or you product company are looking out for me, especially if I'm a small startup or a small company just trying to to build and to use it. And you might get a good use use case out of it too, right? So okay. All right, makes sense. Any other frictions? So there's this thing that they have called lambdas, query lambdas, and it's actually kind of cool. What you do is you write a query, you know, a SQL query, like in this, I'm looking at one right now, actually I have open. And so I pick a bunch of fields from my analytics collection and I say, you know, get data where location is this and species name is this, and it's in between these two timestamps. So it works. I can hit run. I get the data back, but then... I can click this thing called query lambda, create query lambda. And what it does is it parameterizes that, that query and it creates an endpoint for you. And also like the node SDK and the go SDK and stuff, they have a way to, you just pass in the name of the Lambda and then it knows how to talk to it. But at the end of the day, it's just a rest endpoint. So it creates a discrete rest endpoint for that query. And then you can, in your application code, you can just call that endpoint rather than passing SQL back and forth. So it, it appears to be cool, but in practicality, after building out, I don't know, like 10 different queries for this these analytic screens I'm testing out, and then four of them being these lambdas because I wanted to try it, I, I kind of feel like it's just easier to use the queries, <laughs> the SQL queries. And they kind of like present it like, oh, you should use the lambdas as best practice because then your application code is not hard coded, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, well, nobody's application code should hit this endpoint directly anyway. So that it seems like a moot point to me, very debatable versus, you know, you write the SQL and you kind of have the same problem. So I, I don't quite understand the value of the lambdas. I, I went through the trouble of creating four of them. And I'm already wanting to just remove them and go back to just the SQL um, queries and passing those through. Do you get any sort of caching or or benefits out of using a predefined query as opposed to sending your own on the REST API? You know, it's funny you ask that. I, I My assumption when I found out about that feature was yes, but I think they do all the indexing on the fields all that regardless and when i go to the lambda like marketing page if you will and then the directions and stuff they don't really say anything about performance benefits so (laughs) i'm not sure if that's actually one of the benefits okay and then the other thing that i that i can think about is your while your code or client code might be might have those queries right and and they're saying oh you don't need to change your code by 
uh, change your queries just because you need to. Your source code or your client code is source control, right? It's in Git. Is this Lambda functions piece also version control? Can you go back and you like, what? what is the, is there any benefit where you can roll back and say, oh, this query shouldn't be this way or it's breaking all my clients and I should roll it back. Is there any functionality around that? Well, they do have a, a history thing where you can see the history of queries. You're right. The benefit of just writing the SQL query and, and committing it to like, server-side code or whatever is you have commit history of it. Whereas the Lambdas, you can change them, but the benefit is the application doesn't know that you change the data as long as the data that comes back is the same or in the same structure. Mm -hmm. um, so that's cool. You don't have to change your app, but I don't know. What do you do with the SQL that you changed? Like, how do you, how do you I, yeah, it, it gets away from the whole source code idea and concepts, which is kind of weird to me. Yeah, yeah. It seems that trouble can be ahead, right? Because at some point you have so many versions and I don't know, I, 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 you can build a case maybe, and, and this is still debatable, but you can build a case saying, oh, your mobile app that has to go through the app store and it for some reason has to query this, you maybe want to have control on the back end on some parameters like the where clauses, right? The input and the output has to be the same, but you're your conditions might be different and right. you don't want to go through the app store. That That is a case that maybe can be built with for some particular cases, but also not a, a lot of mobile apps are querying this amazing, no. massive amount of data. Right. right. And, and I would argue that a mobile app should not be hitting their Lambda URLs anyway. Like that, there's that just seems like a really bad idea versus hitting a discrete API that then calls the Lambda. Yeah, you um, want to do that extra hoop so you have some sort of control because you will probably right. do it for any other third party API right. if you're building a mobile app, right? If it's yep. a web, then that, that you cannot build a case in, in my head just because you can easily update those queries. Something is wrong, you can roll, roll back or you can update again and try to fix it and then you have all these pipelines and promotion that will that will get it right by the time it hits production so okay mm -hmm. interesting right. very good very good uh but it is it is nice like i i guess the feedback would be what's the value of a lambda function versus just using the rest api and if it's not performance then you better build a good use case yeah exactly because <laughs> at the end of the day when you're this kind of product, all that matters is performance. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're already there because of performance, right? You have a large data set and you want to query it. And yeah. they give you faster performance. But I guess it, it's troublesome for them to say, oh, you can query by SQL, but then if you happen to use Lambda, it's going to be even faster. And then everybody's going to be like, oh, maybe I should not use SQL anymore. And that API is going gonna, is gonna to get low usage. I don't know. Pros and cons, I guess. Okay. Um, right. More frictions. Anything else? No, I, I, I'd say for the frictions, there's not. There's maybe one big blocker, maybe two, but probably, yeah, one and a half uh, blockers. <laughs> <laughs> half blocked. Okay. Let's jump yeah. into those two or two, one and a half. Yeah, so the, the first big one is, again, this kind of goes back to the, the virtual instance size. So I write this query. It seems fine to me. In fact, it, it works initially. And then 
more data is ingested and then I tweak it or I add an extra part of the where clause. And then I get back, oh, insufficient memory or whatever. And it has this really nice, helpful message on the error. But it's like all of a sudden I can't I can't hit stuff. So it's like, oh, I'm out of memory. I'm out of memory. I'm out of memory. So intuitively, you'd assume, okay, well, I can just upgrade to the next virtual instance. Well, the next virtual instance is really expensive, especially since I'm like, I don't understand why I should be out of memory. It should be able to do this without running out of memory. So... That that was kind of frustrating. Um, that now, granted, the solution architect I talked to today said, "Hey, send me over your queries, and I can help figure out what's going on." In the process of being blocked, though, in the the message, it does say, "Hey, reference this guide on making things better." And so, there's a couple of, like things you can drop in the SQL to add better indexing and and stuff like that, but it. You know, I it's it was kind of trial by error. Like I read it, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I can drop this in here and see if it works. Drop it in there. Nah, still same problem. How about this one? Uh nah. And then I come across one, the the scan batch size. I drop that in there. Boom. It like comes back in less than a second. And I'm like, oh wow, that really? I just dropped this hint thing in here and all of a sudden it magically works way faster. What's going on? So that you know, I, I was blocked by that and it's still not clear to me from a friction perspective. It's still not clear to me exactly what the magic of that is. So you have options to optimize your query, but you don't really know what they do with your index at database. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of like, for example, this one says hint and it looks like a function. And then it takes a, a key says data scan batch size. And I upped it to 30,000. And when I did that, it works great. So you can kind of infer what that means. And you look at the docs and you can read what that means. But then there's a few of these other hints where it's like index everything and some other stuff. And, and it says, oh, if you use this, it'll be a lot faster. And you use it and it's not faster. So I don't really quite understand what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, that, that broke your flow. It would be considered a blocker. Okay. What's the other half? <laughs> The other half is just pricing, and, and this is maybe not specific to Rockset, but I need to find a couple customers to pay for this feature that I'm building out, and it's like chicken and egg. I kind of need to just build this out and then just bite the bullet and pay the price for it, which is kind of it's going to cost me twelve thousand dollars a year. I want to implement this on the current virtual instance, which is the medium size but i'm not there yet and i have eight days left on my free trial so I, again that i don't necessarily think that's a rock set problem per se what it does do which would be a rock set problem is it does make me reconsider bigquery and going back to bigquery since i have all the data there already and going oh well maybe i will just spin up some infrastructure and a pipeline to get it out of there and push it to where it needs to go. And, you know, uh, the whole reason for using Rockset is so I don't have to do that stuff. It just does all this stuff for you and you just query and magically get data back. So the fact that I'm considering that, it means, you know, it's, it's the pricing's enough pain point for me to, you know, to jump ship, which I'm, I'm assuming, you know, fish rules are small and they don't care about that as much, but, you know, that is something to think about. 
yeah, it is feedback, right? Why that might be the best tool in town, but if it doesn't help small companies, then then small companies are going to look for somebody else. Or somebody else is going to build something for those, right? Um, mm-hmm. Using other tools or or whatnot. So okay, it's good feedback at the end of the day. And to you, it's a blocker because it is a significant investment in something that it is not the core functionality of your app, but maybe add-ons that maybe you will have customers or maybe not. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Last but not least, pull-up principles. Any any principle of least astonishment scenarios that you may encounter? You know there. I was surprised about something with the SQL querying, and I honestly, I can't remember what it is now, but I did run into something where I'm like, why does it work this way? What on earth is going on? But honestly, I can't remember what it is. Yeah. We'll put it on the on the friction log uh, blog post on our website if we remember what it is. So don't worry about it. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Okay, I want to close it out to uh, your your closing to- thoughts about like who do you think this is for? Uh, is mm. it for you? Is it for companies like yours? Is this for big enterprises? Like who do you think is the best uh, target for Rockset? So I, I assume their product people will say something different than what I'll say, but I, I really think what drew me to this. Well, and, and honestly, being able to spin this up in just a couple of days, what drew me to this is I don't have to have all this data pipeline infrastructure to get to what I need. Because you know how data pipeline works. You know, it's like you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to massage the data, then you got to stuff it over here temporarily, then stuff it over here, and then finally put it somewhere that applications can read it. And Rockset kind of lets me not do that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is awesome. So from my perspective, that's what it's for. For me, I'm sure other people think otherwise. They really, on their marketing part, they really emphasize, oh, it's a real-time data set. You can query all these things and get stuff real-time, 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 real-time. It's everywhere. So I, I don't know if that's as much a marketing thing as it is actually why it's there you know anytime i see the word real time it it does kind of make me think it's just buzzwords you know but Mm -hmm. okay cool okay well i want to thank you rick i know you have been only playing it for a few days and these are all fresh thoughts but it's good that we can get um, that experience first time experience of Rockset from you so i appreciate you coming along on on all of that and i hope they get you a big discount after the good review that you're <laughs> letting them <laughs> and less headaches about your light team on your ide on vs code and with that i think we can close it for the day and we will talk on our next episode all right Talk to you later. Well, that's all for today's episode of Friction Log. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app and visit our website, frictionlog.com. Adios, amigos. Adios.